0: This podcast is presented to you by a new series, The Clergy Confessions Podcast, now available wherever you get your podcast. Listen to ministers share truly awful experiences in anonymity. In this first season, you will hear stories of a minister fighting for maternity leave deep into her pregnancy, a pastor being fired for discovering an embezzlement scheme by the deacon board, an associate pastor finding his senior pastor and office administrator having an affair on church property, and so much more visit clergyconfessions.com follow clergy confessions on instagram facebook and whatever twitter's called now you've done some extensive research for this book um i know because when i was reading it i was struck by the many scholars and psychologists that you cited that were part of my doctoral dissertation um oh wow let, let's talk about uh one of these folks uh john bolby uh a psychologist Mm -hmm. that did uh, extensive research around attachment. You laid out his work, Mm -hmm. um, an anxious attachment, avoidant attachment, disorganized attachment and secure attachment. Why does this matter to the conversation around how we view ourselves and interact with others? We want to give them a special shout-out to some of our listener supporters. The Honorable Charles Quall, Caroline Bell, Cindy folden Lord, Trip Hawthorne, Bill Johnson, Carson Fushi, Ralph Stocks, and that generous anonymous donor that keeps giving an honor of CBF Grump. Thanks for listening. Little Rock, Arkansas, Pittsburgh, PA, Ashburn, Virginia, West Yellowstone, Montana, Tamworth, Australia, and Hamilton, Canada. First time listeners and long time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. And before we move on, we need to give a word of gratitude to our annual sponsors, including Zondervan Media Company, Baylor University's Garland School of Social Work, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky, a model ministry, and Gardner Webb University's School of Divinity. Finally, and I promise this is it don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platforms. We need to pause to tell you about one of our annual sponsors, Gardner Webb University School of Divinity. The Gardner Webb University School of Divinity aims to equip, nurture, encourage, and support men and women for their best service in the kingdom of God. Offering several programs, including master's and doctoral levels, you'll be equipped and encouraged to discover the unique place where your faith reaches out to meet the needs of the world. Now enrolling for fall of 2023. For more information about Gardner-Web Division programs, scholarships and grants, call 704-406-3205 and visit gardner webed Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Anne Lynn. She's the founder of thehoogashop.com and the creator of faith and lifestyle blog Girl and the Word. She's an interior stylist by trade and author of a new book, Forever Home. And thanks for joining the conversation.
1: Thank you for having me. Love it to be here.
0: So, you know, even in writing the introduction there, I was like, how does she keep up with like all that stuff? (laughs) (laughs) uh, How did, you know, you you obviously got a good bit of your work started in, in, in the blog you created. Tell us kind of the story behind starting that and how it took off.
1: Yeah, so I started my blog in 2014 just as a way to share my faith reflections with my friends and family. Um, I never intended it to be anything bigger than that, Um, but as life and or I I guess as God would have it after I graduated from college and came back home, um, I was just surrounded by. Um, like a toxic environment and I needed to get out immediately and so I saved up some money and um, moved out as quickly as I could and I moved into a pretty dingy apartment on the outskirts of downtown Um, and I just used one full paycheck to make over that apartment so that it could be more livable and I just snapped a photo of it and put it on my Instagram for fun and it kind of blew up And that's when I thought, wow, this could be a really fun hobby. Um, But I did it consistently enough um, that sponsorships started coming in and I was able to make a living off of home decor and home makeovers. Um, And before I knew it, it replaced my full-time income as a copywriter at the time. So I quit my day job and pursued this full-time, but it wasn't until I discovered YouTube Um, that I was able to share the gospel um, using home decor which was something I had never personally seen before so I have been doing that ever since and it's a very niche and unique um, I guess category to be in but um, I don't think anything else could have fulfilled me the same way this very niche um, category does.
0: (laughs) You know I was uh, kind of toying with the idea of just for fun for the interview of like like doing a full 360 of my office just to see what your uh, insights would be but like I don't want to put myself through that so uh, <laughs> no we'll I am not critical <laughs> no no no. it would be me putting myself on you know on the the chopping block if you will uh for, for you to work with so um so Aww. so tell us uh, about the the shop
1: yeah so the hygge shop is based off of the Danish word Huga which means a feeling of coziness and safety so the American equivalent is Huga and I just took that word and I I just felt like it also encompassed the sweetness of God, you know the uh, nurturing side of his fatherhood and I really wanted to create um, things that, Bring him glory such as ceramics like that points to verses in the bible that says he is the potter we are the clay um i also created a devotional journal um where people can look at cozy recipes but at the same time get the word of god so it's super creative and it engages all of the senses um so that's kind of the um yeah the 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 whole thing about my my cozy shop is I wanted to create products that eventually bring people closer to the Lord.
0: We can't go any further without telling about one of our annual sponsors, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. How does your congregation handle ministry staff leadership for areas such as youth and children's ministry? More and more churches are cultivating these leaders from within their congregations. Going away to seminary is not an option for these persons, yet many desire some level of theological education to better prepare them for their ministry role. In response to this trend, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky has launched the Homegrown Initiative. The Homegrown Initiative offers ministry leaders options for training and growth that fits into their busy schedules. If you or someone else at your church is serving as a homegrown minister and is looking to be better equipped as a minister, visit bsk.edu to learn more about new creative options for growth. bsk.edu. That's bsk.edu. You have a new book, Forever Home. This book examines our sense of brokenness, inviting readers to build a strong and beautiful life. You wrote, while going about life the best way you knew how, you suddenly found yourself trapped in a demolition that looked totally beyond repair. Your favorite spaces were now destroyed, your safety suddenly compromised, and your own life no longer seemed livable. Walk us through the, the personal journey that led you to write this book.
1: Yeah, I mean, I didn't expect to ever get a book deal or an opportunity this big. So when it did come, I had to do a lot of soul searching to see what was worth passing on to the next generation. And I decided to just like uh, enroll myself in trauma therapy, um, just so I can really dig deeper into my own psyche um, and work on wounds that I probably didn't even know I had um, and sure enough through that really painful process of um revisiting areas of my life that I had kept hidden for a long time I was able to um create this I guess analogy of how to rebuild your life from scratch um, by using the analogy of like rebuilding a house from its foundation upwards. And before you can rebuild a house, you have to demolish the old house. Um, And that's the bit that you just read right now. It all begins with this deconstruction process. And yes, at first it might feel like a tear down, but only when you demolish the old, can you rebuild something new and better for yourself. So that was the whole premise of the demolition, the introduction of the book.
0: Yeah. The, let's take that a little deeper. Um, you know, that word demolition, that's, that's a like a, a hard term, you know, but yeah, a I think word. an accurate term, you know? So yeah. So take us into like what that process looks like.
1: I mean, you would essentially be opening your heart to removing all of the unsafe patterns of your past. And a lot of times we might think, oh yeah, I don't want all of these bad habits, but the reality is that so many of us find comfort in repeating the same patterns. We don't even realize it, but we keep self-sabotaging in that way, picking the, the same wrong people over and over again, seeing the same cycles being repeated in our lives and not knowing how to break out of that loop. And I say that if you actually find yourself looking around you and feeling as though you almost have nothing left, like you are in the middle of a messy construction site where they had just demolished a house where it's like so severe that you can't see beyond that, that's actually an act of mercy from the Lord. It is a good thing because he has demolished and done away with the old so that you could see how unhelpful it is and how it doesn't serve the new life that you want to build so now that you're in the the, the, sorry the demolition process the next step is to renew the foundation of your life and when I say foundation I really mean oh sorry that's a dog hey buddy so, so, quick pause. so you know
0: so for our audience i'll fill the space we uh we were uh talking about this amazing corgi before the recording <laughs> that uh has to be by ann's side uh through and through she gave it i believe what she said was about 15 pounds of treats to kind of appease <laughs> it while we we're doing the interview and i i cautioned her in doing that because i don't want to be responsible for the dog gaining you know a, a buku's of weight so anyways back to what you were saying
1: He's so clever. He was barking at me because he's like, "Time's up. I need my treats now." <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> so you gave me a good like five minutes there. But as I was saying, it all begins um, with rebuilding a new foundation upon God's love. And in, in the Matthew, <laughs> oh man, I really should find a way to feel free to cut this part out. He's no, just you're you're good. This is right this now. is
0: all the natural part of this conversation, right? He's he's fine. You're right.
1: In Matthew, it says, well, when Jesus said that we need to build our house on bedrock because that's the only way that it could withstand the storms that will eventually come. Um, What that essentially means in the practical terms and in the modern terms is to build your life with a secure, I guess, relationship with God. Um, And that's as opposed to having an insecure relationship with God. Um, and so many of us find ourselves having the same relationship with the Lord as we do with our authority figures, which are often insecure. Um, when we can't feel God, when we don't hear him, we feel like he's not there. And that is the result of having an insecure foundation um, and having um, not so strong a trust in his um, in his protection over us and in his fatherhood. So when we wanna rebuild the new foundation on his love, we are actually surrendering to his parenthood over us, his authority over us and saying, I trust you and I know you're there even when I can't feel you or see you. And that could you know, be achieved by several different ways which I um, listed out in the book, how to earn a more secure attachment. Um, And it has to do with finding the right, uh, what they call surrogate attachment figures in your life, whether that be a mentor or a therapist, and then surrounding yourself with a community that is trauma informed, that has your best interests at heart and always is looking for you to become closer to Christ.
0: Yeah, we'll do a a little bit of a deep dive on each of those here momentarily. Um, Brokenness is such a challenging word because it encompasses so many different facets of our life. When you talk about brokenness, what what are you talking about?
1: I'm talking about the effects of sin in your life. And sometimes it's not from your own sin. Sometimes you suffer from the sins of others as well. And the result is a life that feels fragmented. Um, a mind and a body that is disconnected um, and you're constantly feeling unease as opposed to the transcendent peace that the bible talks about
0: and you know you also write about trauma which you were alluding to earlier this has become one of those throwaway terms in the common vernacular of people without actually Mm -hmm. talking about trauma so help us what understand what you mean by trauma?
1: Well, trauma is a very subjective term, hence it's thrown around a lot, but what it essentially means is the lasting impact of a traumatic or hurtful um, experience that overwhelmed your ability to cope. So that is different for each person. And studies have shown that the earlier the traumatic memory has occurred, the more lasting it is. That's why so many of our unhelpful habits and uh, fears stem from our childhood memories. Um, And what really matters is how supported we are after the, you know, the events have occurred. Um, So the first 90 days I read were incredibly important. If you were if you encountered like a traumatic incident and during those first 90 days afterwards, you were surrounded by people who were reassuring and validated your experience and just were very gentle and helping you in helping you move forward, then you have a greater chance of not internalizing that event as a traumatic memory. It could just file away as something that happened in the past. But if within those 90 days and afterwards, you were isolated and you didn't have that kind of godly and helpful support around you, and uh, if you had the opposite, if people were blaming you or, you know, making it more painful for you, then what happens is that all that stress and all of that I guess hurt and and brokenness gets lodged in your body. And what happens to your brain is that whenever it is reminded of anything even remotely similar to that event, it acts as if you are presently, like if it is presently happening to you right now. Um, And that's what we call a trigger. So, so many of us uh, are actually triggered by, events that hurt us when we were younger that we might not even remember, but for some reason we have disproportionate reactions to like kind of things that aren't that big of a deal now if you look at it in third person perspective. So when that happens, when you find yourself having that disproportionate reaction, that is a good time to take a step back and have that awareness that, hey, this might not be the the thing in front of me might not be the thing that's actually hurting me. I might just be remembering something else that has truly, truly hurt me in the past. So yeah, that's where I would kind of start with um, identifying the areas of trauma in our lives.
0: You wrote, unfortunately, if our bodies are stuck in a survival mode and I have a higher baseline of anxiety, we can suffer insomnia, depression, irritation, and feelings of helplessness. Mm-hmm. As well as a plethora of other negative impacts each person responds to trauma differently depending on the type of trauma we've endured the age which we've experienced the trauma and the combination of nature and nurture why is Mm -hmm. understanding our bodily and emotional and cognitive response to trauma so important
1: well as christians we wanna be as Christ-like as possible, right? And that's the whole point of sanctification, this whole lifelong process of looking more like Christ. And part of looking more like Christ is identifying areas in our lives that don't reflect him. And those areas of hurt and unresolved pain are especially, um, I guess, uh, huge obstacles. Uh, to looking more like christ so i think that which should be a wonderful motivation for christians to dive deep into their psyche and their lives and try to unearth the cycles that they keep repeating that don't necessarily bring god any glory Um, and if you don't want to get overly spiritual about it i think the mind, body, and soul connection is so real. Like, we are not just our minds or just our spirits. We are also this physical vessel that we are in. Um, I believe everything is interconnected and one. One, I guess, ailment in in one area really affects all of the other. If you're spiritually ill, it often affects your physicality. And if you're physically ill, then you don't have the motivation to read the Bible or do anything spiritual. So when we really take care of our soul, as in our entire being, it allows us and it frees us to become the whole and happy and fulfilled person that we were created to be.
0: You know, theology of the human experience of demolition and brokenness and trauma are important. Uh, What are some of the unhealthy ways that you've heard people theologize these matters?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, how many times have we heard you don't need (laughs) you don't need a therapist, you need Jesus, right? Like that is um, such a common misconception in the the church um but just in the same way that we need a physical doctor when we are physically injured we need a doctor for our minds when we are not doing so hot up there you know and jesus is with us every step of the way of this healing journey and he gives us these resources and these people that we can seek for mentorship and for healing. And we are not meant to heal in isolation. We are not meant to hide our wounds because they just fester and they get worse in the dark. What we need to do is actually expose our wounds to the light, to people who are safe, who know how to, you know, deal with this healing process and how to really guide us in a way that brings us closer to God and also allows us to be real with our experiences without diminishing it or without invalidating it.
0: We are pausing to tell you about one of our collaborative annual sponsors, a model ministry. Are you a church leader who's committed to keeping children safe? If so, then a model ministry is for you. We are a registered nonprofit organization specializing in safety education, policy writing, and risk assessment to mitigate child abuse in ministry organizations. We understand that child safety is a top priority for churches, and we are here to create a safe and nurturing environment for all children. Our founders can provide the resources and support needed to implement effective child safety policies and procedures. Visit Amodelministry.com to learn more about our services and how we can help keep children safe.
1: Since 2016, CBF episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month, For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support.
0: You've done some extensive research for this book. Um, I know because when I was reading it, I was struck by the many scholars and psychologists that you cited that were part of my doctoral dissertation. Um, Oh, wow. Let's talk about uh, one of these folks, uh, John Bowlby, uh, mm-hmm. a psychologist that did uh, extensive research around attachment. You laid out his work, mm-hmm. um, an anxious attachment, avoidant attachment, disorganized attachment, and secure attachment. Why does this matter to the conversation around how we view ourselves and interact with others?
1: Well, our attachment styles is just the first step to earning more secure relationship with ourselves and others and we talked a little bit about that earlier but when you renew the foundation of your life and you're in that kind of foundational phase of erecting this new and um, whole and healed life that you want it is so important to recognize your personal patterns of relating to others i related the most to the anxious attachment. And I didn't know it at the time. So I just thought I was like a monster. Nobody was able to really tell me what was going on, why my reactions were so disproportionate, why I was so hypersensitive to the people around me. And I just felt like something about me was like off, like something was not working right. And once I realized what attachment styles were, it allowed me to have such an awareness of my own triggers and my own reactions so that I can have more self-control and ultimately uh, bring myself to someone who can help me with that. Um, And it also really greatly improved my relationship with others, especially my relationship with my spouse. He has a more avoidant attachment style. So, when someone is avoided, is paired with someone who is anxious and it's not worked on, this can become the most invalidating loop and the most frustrating loop for both people. Um, but learning about our individual habits really helped us to have more compassion for each other and for ourselves and learn better ways to communicate that work for both people. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And I think I think one of the struggles for for many Christians is that we've been there's been been these almost prescribed pathways for us as part of like the faith journey. Right. You know, um, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and part of that, those pathways at times can feel like uh, like to be a part of a relationship, eventually marriage seems like you know, a prerequisite, you know, it's not, it's not explicitly said, but it is. And so that that forces a lot of people into, um, some, some unhealthy relationships at times in which we attach so much of our identity, um, Mm -hmm. our sense of belonging to an individual. Um, and, and that ends up creating more psychological trauma, um, Mm -hmm. than if we just not lived into that pathway, if that makes any sense.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, before, uh, when I had no idea what was going on with me, I would just jump from relationship to relationship, repeating the same exact behaviors and expecting different results just because I was with a different person. And it's not like when you get married or even greater, when you have kids, all of a sudden, you know, you're going to figure out the right way to be and the right way to treat them. If anything, these higher stakes will stress you out even more and create in you <laughs> even more anxiety and um, and more of what the insecure attachment that you currently have. Um, it will just get worse. But um, without you know getting into, I guess uh, the 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 downsides of uh, all of that too much. Uh, What you can do is to just start by talking to a professional who knows a thing or two about attachment styles and see how they can recognize these patterns in you and the simple practical things you can do to just take a pause before reacting um, and treat your loved ones better and treat yourself better in the process
0: you you talk about some fascinating aspects of forgiveness within the book. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know, as we look at the Bible, the Bible illustrates uh, and tries to communicate in so many different ways, expression of human existence and human limitations. And one of the ways the Bible often talks about this is the idea of like, Debt, you know Jesus. Mm. Jesus' famous uh, moment of of teaching prayer. He, you know, depending on your interpretation, is He's forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so that that concept, that theological construct, can oftentimes create a heaviness within our soul, both individually and kind of collectively as we look at our relationships, and and you write about forgiveness, you write, the the concept Mm -hmm. of forgiveness is often lauded as a noble and virtuous ideal, but in practice, forgiveness can be incredibly challenging to embody. Perhaps this is because we as human beings are wired to seek justice and fairness. When we are wronged, our innate sense of justice cries out for retribution and restitution, leaving little room for forgiveness. I wonder if you'll take us a little deeper here, specifically as it revolves around this continued conversation of trauma and and demolition and kind of rebuilding um, our true sense of of self and belonging.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right in saying that the Bible talks a lot about debt, and that's because of the results of sin, right? When one person sins against another, um, there is justice that needs to be had. And what Jesus does and what God did through Jesus is that he didn't didn't sweep our sins under this cosmic carpet, as it were. Um, He didn't just do away with our sins like, poof, I forgive it, and it went into nowhere land. But instead, he had to pay the debt. Um, And I finally understood why that needed to happen. When my um, one of my closest friends and I went through a conflict, um, it was a misunderstanding. But I personally felt at that time that I had been so betrayed um, and that this friendship was pretty much over. There was no salvaging it um, because that was how hurt I was. I felt like there was nothing she could do to make up for the betrayal that she did. Um, And so as a last resort, which was so funny, it should have been my first response. But as a last resort, I opened the Bible and was like, "Okay, I don't know what to do. You probably know what to do, God. And I flipped open to the psalm, psalm one, two and three. I read through it and it completely, I guess, shattered me in the best way um, because it shattered my previous worldview of still living in debt and still having people owing me things. Um, But what Psalm 1, 2, and 3 showed me um, was that, hey, that's the whole reason why Jesus had to come. Because when you're in him, not only are you free from the burdens of your own sins, but you also gain the peace and safety and freedom that you need to heal from the sins of others. So having Jesus in your life and believing that he died for the reasons that he did actually resolves this innate need for justice. It resolves your need for that debt to be paid because he has already paid it on the cross and he paid it for my friend and he paid it for me. So we are clear of debt and she doesn't owe me anything anymore because she is in Christ and he has paid her debts for her. So I guess that really gave me a logical and I guess a satisfying reason to forgive. Because we are, you know, creatures of reason. We need a logical reason to forgive. And that's what Jesus does. He cleared the debt and we can feel completely resolved of the sins that others have uh, committed against us.
0: Deep down, um, we humans, along with our basic needs for for water, food, and shelter and safety also have a built-in desire to belong. And mm-hmm. at times that sense of belonging can lead us to enter into unhealthy relationships as we were alluding to earlier uh, with others and, and even an unhealthy, you know, understanding of ourself. How has your faith journey led you to a healthier understanding of belonging? Wow.
1: Well, I mean, where do I even start? Right. As soon as I found out about the attachment style that I had um, it was just it felt like an uphill battle trying to undo the physical, I guess, because it is physiological. Like the, the the neural pathways that I was so used to uh, reacting by, it, it 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 was so hard to break, um, even if I had the awareness of it. So, I I think it all came down to surrendering and realizing that it's not about white knuckling your way to healing but recognizing that biblically healing is more like walking around a mountain to get to the top rather than just from the foot of the mountain, you know, going straight up, which is what I kind of approached it by. Um, But then I realized that, no, it's a journey and you're taking the long way. You're walking around and it seems like you're walking in circles, but every circle that you make you're getting a little bit higher and you're getting a little bit higher and your scenery changes a little bit more. And hopefully, you know, at the end of your life, you can truly feel as though you have done all that you can in this sanctification process to be as close to Christ as, as he has allowed you to be. So I think when we think of healing in that way, uh, as a marathon, rather than like a sprint, incline it'll allow us to have more compassion over ourselves and take more time in um, doing the things we know we should be doing
0: let's take a break to tell you about one of our annual sponsors baylor university's garland school of social work what is social work at baylor university's garland school of social work it's empowerment service and justice It's ministry, counseling, and relationship building. It's faith, practice, and community. But above all, it's learning how to help others thrive. Social workers can be found addressing the full scope of the human experience in churches, schools, prisons, government agencies, senior living centers, nonprofits, and Fortune 500 companies. Careers in social work profession are vast and varied. What is social work, you ask? It's much more than you think. Visit gsswstories.baylor.edu to explore more. In an era when the church seems to be drawing more closed circles of who is in and who is out, who is welcome, who is not, who can be a full member and who cannot, what role should the church play in cultivating belonging?
1: Well, the church really should be a hospital for all. And I know that so many of your listeners have heard of that you know, saying before we are a hospital for the broken, but actually have we really tried to be that because so many church environments end up making people feel as though we have to hide our wounds and take on this caricature uh, of perfection um, that really nobody is. Um, And so I feel like in order for the church to take that first step in creating a safe place of belonging is to have the leaders at the top be more trauma-informed. I believe it's all top-down anyway when it comes to church organizations. So if the leaders pour time and effort into learning about trauma and the brain and how it relates to their spirituality, it will 100% help them relate to their congregation better and lead their church in a way that glorifies God more and brings healing rather than inflicting more pain and trauma on people.
0: One of the things you note in the book um, is that there's this great paradox that we see with what Jesus is inviting us into. You know, following Jesus isn't a life free of chaos and a life free of suffering and a life free of anxiety. It is a Uh, a way and path and and you know lord to follow through the chaos through the suffering through the anxiety and finding calm and joy and peace um, in the midst of those things i wonder if you'll take us a little deeper there
1: yeah i mean in the same breath as the previous question that you had i feel like the world often treats people as though we are unworthy before we were born, you know, you're like just a comp cell. you're like a waste of space. We have like these inner critics that come from outside voices that tell us we are unworthy. And on the other hand, we could often feel as though the church, <laughs> I don't want to come down on a church so hard, but this is my personal experience, um, that the church could make us feel unworthy after we're born. Like now that we are fully here and <laughs> fully grown, We aren't treated with the same preciousness as we were when, you know, when we were babies. So sadly, these are two faces of the same coin. And if people have infinite values in the eyes of God, then it really doesn't matter what state they're in, born or unborn, nice or naughty, right? So I feel like in order to really experience the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that is, you know, joy, peace, uh, love, goodness, all of that you have to first face the fact that you are infinitely worthy and just have that surrendered acceptance. Um, I know that that was a struggle for me because I didn't even know what that meant. Um, But honestly, if you try to embrace the fact that you are infinitely worthy in the eyes of God, it will change the way you love yourself and others. Um, And it will change the way you approach this whole this whole life this whole like relationship thing this whole you know uh setting purpose and setting career goals when you know that you are worthy it changes everything for you um and i believe that when we know that we are worthy we reflect his image the best cuz that's what we are we are made in his image
0: <clears throat> Your last- Leslie, um, you know, as obviously you you write this book, you have this hope for your readers. Um, but, you know, as as people are starting to read this, what, what are some of the feedback you're getting from folks? Um, and, and what do you hope others will gain from it?
1: Oh, wow. So far, I've already received a, a, f- a few messages about how people have discovered wounds in themselves that they didn't even know they had. Some are going through um, their parents having cancer and that being a super traumatic journey for them. And this book just really gave, him, gave them the comfort that they needed. Um, so I'm just so humbled by um, the impact that it has had so far. Um, it came out on September 26, And um, I mean, so far God has already uh, used these stories to touch a variety of people, um, some not even Christian. Um, so I, I really just hope that this could be the greatest ally on your journey of healing if you are reading Forever Home now. Um, and I, I do wanna read a, a quick quote from the book that I feel sums up the entire thing perfectly. And, and I wrote, you are not doomed to a miserable life because of your painful past. There is still hope for you, no matter what you did or what has been done to you. And I truly hope that forever home can be your greatest ally on your journey of healing.
0: Our guest is Anne Lynn and the book is forever home. You can stay connected with her by visiting girlandtheword.com. And it's been a joy speaking with you. Thank you for challenging us um, to see that we will face challenges and fluctuations in our circumstances, but continuing to pursue our emotional well-being is worthwhile.
1: Thank you for having me and creating space for this conversation.
0: We are grateful for a chance to pause to tell you about one of our annual sponsors, Zondervan Media Group. Explore the depth and beauty of scripture with the NRSV updated edition. With provisions based on new contextual evidence, historical insights, and linguistic precision, this updated edition of the NRSV delivers a translation of scripture based on meticulous care for accuracy and readability. Learn more about new editions of the NRSV UE from Zondervan at NRSVUEBible.com. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF on all major platforms, including iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platforms. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites. Again, that's Gardner-Webb University School of Divinity, a Model Ministry, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky, Baylor University's Garland School of Social Work, and Zondervan Media Company. Check out more at cbf.net for more information about church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and more. And I'm not sure if we mentioned that you should join the listener support community at cbf.net backslash podcast support.